0: According to eyewitness accounts and and oral tradition, we have the records of Jesus' ministry and teaching and the greatest sermon ever preached. We often think of the version in the Gospel of Matthew, but in Luke, Luke records that Jesus gathered his disciples and he called out 12 of them. He named them off and called them out and gave them a new title of apostle, the sent ones. And then this is what doctor Luke records happened next it says Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place a large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea from Jerusalem from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases check this those troubled by impure spirits were cured And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming through him and healing them. And he looked out over all of his disciples and he said this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you already have received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how your, their ancestors treated the false prophets. Let's pray. Oh God, in the brokenness of this world, we turn to you. And God, we confess our sin in believing the lie of this world, oh God adding to the pain of others, Lord, by the things that I've done and left undone. Oh God, I pray that through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our cornerstone, our King, our Teacher, our Master, our Rabbi, and our Friend, oh God, that we would be a church that would follow in the way of Jesus. And God, these blessings and these woes would be ever evident to us, oh God choices that we make. Lord God, that we would see, behold, experience the coming of your kingdom, the purpose of your church that you designed to to be built up and to last through all manner of troubles, oh God. We pray, Lord, for this day, for everyone in this room, everyone watching online, oh God, that you would have a word of insight for for us from your word today and a word of challenge, that we both be encouraged lord god those of us that are discouraged we'd be encouraged lord god and those that that need a challenge i need it, need a little kick in the pants lord god that we would receive that uh with tender love from your holy spirit we pray in jesus name amen amen the tender love part tender love with that kick the church of jesus christ was built to last it was built on his life his ministry his miracles of power working in and through him that transformed a people and confirmed by his resurrection. He came back. Paul records that over 500 saw him, touched him, were with him. And Luke, as he records those early days of the church, the infancy of the church in the book of Acts, the book of the apostles, the book of the Holy Spirit, it says that Jesus commissioned his his disciples, his apostles, he told them then, to stay, to wait in Jerusalem for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then on Pentecost Sunday, that Spirit came. It's recorded here, something like a violent, loud wind, something like flames of fire descending on their heads. That these men and women who had followed Jesus, had trusted Jesus, were given supernatural power to speak in tongues so that all those that were gathered in Jerusalem for the great festival, that were God-fearing people from uh, all parts unknown, came together in that place, and they heard audibly the gospel perfectly articulated in their own native language. And then Luke records that the apostle Peter, who had been a fisherman, who had denied Jesus, he stood before the crowd and he preached a gospel that brought 3,000 people to new life, saved in one day. In the infancy of the church, capital C Church, the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to perform acts that were impossible when Jesus was with them. That's why he said, it's good that I go back to the Father because the Spirit is coming. The helper is coming, the paraclete. And here we are in chapter 11 in the book of Acts, some nine years after that greatest sermon ever preached, and we're our focus this morning that we're going to be looking at, the insights and the challenges come from the book of Acts chapter 11. encourage you to open your Bible to chapter 11, or you can watch it uh, on the screen, verses 19 to 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. We know him later as Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Luke writes that followers of Jesus spread out. They scattered. They were just thrown to the wind after the persecution began, after Stephen was martyred. That means dying for your faith. That means being murdered uh, in this case, under the guise of the state, for saying, I believe Jesus is the Christ. And then the, the numbers of disciples were continuing to grow rapidly, and conversions were happening in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus had said in Acts 1.8. But here, after this first persecution, those disciples really spread out and went on the run. And so it says here they ran ran to places like Phoenicia, that's in Lebanon, the Isle of the island of Cyprus, Cyrene, that's in Libya, and to Antioch. Antioch is in modern-day Turkey. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. About 500,000 people there. It was near the mouth of the Orontes River, and it was near the port city of Seleucus. So it was both somewhat inland as a trade route coming from the east, but also it was a port city to the Mediterranean Sea. It was known for being cosmopolitan. That means multicultural, people coming from all over the place. It was known for being wealthy, for being innovative, for being very pagan. There were temples to all the Greek and Roman gods. You could just throw a stick at and and hit one. And it was known for being incredibly corrupt. You couldn't put bread on the table for your family without paying some official off. That was historically known in Antioch. It was the capital of, for Rome in the region of Syria, starting in 23 B.C. So they took that very seriously, that a certain amount of autonomy from Rome. It's interesting, we studied uh, the book of Revelation last year. Remember, we started this Sunday last year. We looked at the seven churches. Antioch wasn't included, but it certainly could have been included uh, in the list of those churches. But there in Antioch, 500,000 people in a wealthy city, there was a small ghetto of Jewish people who had fled there from their own persecution prior to these followers of the way, followers of Jesus. Now, these people that were displaced, these believers that were displaced, were taking the gospel to people like themselves. Think of someone who, whether they're Jewish or... They would have a, a really good understanding of of what the gospel might mean, at least the the lead up to it, the hope of a Messiah, and then they could make sense of that. Or they were God fearing, they were monotheistic at least. So we had, like, we have a little running room, right? We have a few things in common. Th- to this point, even though we see hints, we see hints of the gospel spreading. We see uh, Philip meeting with the Ethiopian. We have hints of this where Peter's talking about food and ceremonial laws, but here in chapter 11 of the book of acts these disciples from cyprus and cyrene think of it as generation 1.5 9 years after pentecost they wind up in antioch and they say why don't we share this good news with the pagans it says greeks but they're just being kind here these are straight up pagans like they have they have no concept no understanding of anything about this small sliver of land of Israel and its ancient history, let's bring the gospel that's meant for this international audience to the Greeks, to Gentiles. And it says, uh, these uh, Greco-Greek people, it says here, Luke records, that a great number of Gentiles got saved. So first insight. The church was built on Jesus Christ, who taught In the sin-ravaged world, blessing often is disguised. How is it disguised? Did you see what I read at the very beginning? The greatest sermon ever preached. It's often disguised like poverty, hunger, weeping, persecution. Even in those hardest of times, he was preparing his disciples in the future to understand that there is blessing even in that hardship. Rejoice, he even says. Luke 6.23 in that day, leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. I imagine those first people are listening to him, saying, "Okay, I, I am hungry, I, I am hurting, but I'm not being persecuted because I I don't even know who you are, Rabbi, yet." But he was preparing them for what was coming. But even in persecution. There's blessing. Anti-Christian hostility is on the minds of, of many of us these days. Each new legal challenge, each new legal challenge to religious liberties uh, raises the issue, especially right now when we're talking about churches that are being shut down during the pandemic and, and issues of, of uh, freedom to express religions, your religious uh, affiliation, but also safety issues. That Those same sentiments are sort of stirring the church up during the election cycle that we're in, just weeks away from the election. Now we have the nomination to the Supreme Court. It's just building and building. Do you feel that at all? Does anyone feel that? It seems like today, Christians must think through our cultural position more carefully than we ever have had in U.S. history. And so as we think through where we find ourselves in American culture that has shifted and changed so much, I want us to have some perspective, some biblical perspective, a little wider perspective of the Christian church. A pastor in the Middle East was, uh, who remained nameless for sake of, of his safety, but he was interviewed by Christianity Today, and this Christian leader wrote this, He said, persecution is easier to understand when it's physical. Torture, death, imprisonment. American persecution is like an advanced stage of cancer. It eats away at you, yet you cannot feel it. This is the worst kind of persecution. I don't know if that's true or not true. But listen, the church, first insight The church was built to last because through persecution and hardship, there is blessing. We'll come back to that. The second insight, this passage reminds us the church was built to last by being multi-ethnic and multicultural. And so church, I want you to know your bloodline. I want you to know your roots. I want you to know where we came from. Contrary to popular conception, the Christian Revolution was multi-ethnic and multicultural from its beginning. Jesus scandalized his fellow Jews by telling stories like his most famous parable, the Good Samaritan, where this hated ethno-religious group, someone from that group, is made the hero in the story. That blew people's minds. Or John recording the conversation between Jesus and, and the woman at the well. The first churches were made up of people from across social economic stratosphere and and the the whole cultural and ethnic makeup of the church became incredibly diverse very quickly. And so the early church's history, the earliest we have, is brothers and sisters of Christ from places like Just to name a few modern day Israel, Palestine, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Egypt, Libya, Greece, and Italy. Just to name the ones that we've just looked at in this passage. There is no other religion more diverse than Christianity. And anyone who says that, oh, Christianity is is mostly white and Western is ignorant. Oh, gosh, I wasn't supposed to say that. I was supposed to say uninformed. Can we edit that? Is this live? Oh, yeah, I had more choice words. Oh, boy, we need a five-second count. No, if, tell, tell someone who says that you're, you're uninformed. Let me inform you. Most of the world's Christians are neither white nor Western. Ethiopia and Eritrea became Christian states a half century before Rome was Christianized. And hundreds and hundreds of years before Christianity came to Britain. Any of you come from Great Britain? Your your roots are in Western Europe? We were like in the Stone Age. We were just like worshiping rocks and moss on the ground and running around trying to find elves up in the mountains of of Scandinavia. We didn't know Christianity. There was a thriving church in the rest of the known world. Now I'm going to hear it for that one too. (laughs) Christianity was strong in Egypt in the first century, Tunisia and the Sudan in the second century. The most important early church father, Augustine of Hippo, he came from Algeria. Now, nowadays, North Africa is dominated by Islam. By force, Islam came in, warring, as it, we continue to see evidence of that. But 60% of Sub Saharan Africa. Is Christian. How about Asia? India has a huge number of Christians, by by population smaller, of course, dominated by by Hindus. But what it doesn't have in numbers, it makes up for in deep history. Thomas took the gospel to India. The Christians in China, who are under persecution now, outnumber the number of people that say they are Christian, in America. So you have Christians in China being persecuted by the Communist Party, and you have people that identify as, yeah, Christmas, Santa Claus, Jesus, and they label Christian. So how many Christians are in China compared to the United States of America? Last summer in Great Britain, this was recorded, at least... 15,000 Christian foreign missionaries were on the streets of London and all over Great Britain evangelizing. And they were mostly from Africa and Asia. People, know your roots. Our Lord's kingdom is the most ethnically, culturally, social, economically, racially diverse belief system in history, period. And according to the Pew Research Foundation, which is a nonpartisan, non religious, they're just, they're just, they're like Dragna, just the facts, man. They're just out there, they research, you know, they just crunch the numbers, they got the advocates on, hmm, yeah, let's just look at the numbers. You know what the Pew Research said in 2017? It said that by 2050, and look at how many churches in America, we see so many people not coming to church. Maybe you have family that doesn't come here, but for the rest of the world, by 2050, Christianity, which is now, will remain the largest belief system in the world. It's 31% now. It will be 32% of the entire globe by 2050. You see, the church was built to last. And I can't help it. I got to do it. Last year, we had such a kickoff going in the book of Revelation, right? None of us knew what was coming, and I'm outlining Revelation. Oh, it says stuff about conflicts and wars and and political movements, and, and it talks about plagues, and we had no idea what was coming. <laughs> Revelation 7, 9 and 10. This is the one of the visions that John sees of the church. What's it look like? After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they cried out, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, you know. If we could go to ancestry.com, has anyone ever tried that ancestry.com? I've never, I've never bothered to try. But if we could do a, a religious version of that, like a spiritual roots version, of it, think about how diverse your background would be. And they go, oh, I guess I have a little Welsh and some English, and no, the list would be this long of your spiritual heritage. So know your roots. But listen, how did that diversity happen? How did the good news spread so wide and far? It's when someone crossed the cultural barrier that separates people. The church and this church needs to embrace diversity and cross the cultural barrier because that pleases God. And the one element of our 2020 to 2025 mission that we didn't talk about—the one thing that we left off—but I saved it for today. It's at the very end of that statement, that just beehag bold, hairy, audacious, goal statement of where we see God leading us. Right at the very end, it said, and Lord, if it's if it's the Lord's will, that this church of Maple Valley would be used by God to plant an eco church. Where might that church be? It won't be in Maple Valley." There's no other way for the church to fulfill her mission in the world than to go out and cross the cultural barriers. And God is raising up workers, and we need to continue as we have for three decades be a church that sends out missionaries. We're honored to be a part of that. So built to last, insight one, challenge one. This is a challenge for me. He says, even when we're being persecuted, as we see here, there's a blessing. So here's the challenge that I have, I'll say for myself, understanding persecution and God's blessing in that. I need to stop whining about the hardships of having church like this. We're all spread out and online. Oh gosh, I have to wear a mask for a few minutes. Stop whining about that and focus on winning more people to Christ. Amen? Amen. Number two, we need to know our spiritual roots go deep multicultural, multi-ethnic. And so we need to embrace diversity, especially now with so much division, so much angst, and so much pain and anger and, and protest in the street. It's the church of Jesus Christ that can speak the gospel truth in the midst of that. Number three, I want you to underline this word. If you're looking at home in your Bible, if you guys are sitting out here, verse 11, underline this verse. Verse 11, it says, the the phrase, the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. The church of Jesus Christ was built to last through persecution, through diversity, and because the Holy Spirit was the one doing the work through the people. The hand of the Lord being with them, it's all over the Old Testament. Luke uses it very carefully, very judiciously, through the book of Acts. It only shows up a few times, but very, very specifically, it's around the issue of evangelism. When the church is evangelizing, that means the church actually going out and speaking the gospel and bringing people to Christ, he mentions the hand of the Lord was with them. And so you think, well, okay, Pastor Pete, I mean, isn't God always with me? Isn't that what we're teaching our kids, and we sing about God's with me, and Loves me no matter what, yes, but that's not this sermon. It's not this sermon. Because that's not the point of what Dr. Luke is making. His point is, when the church is being the church and is actually evangelizing, speaking words, inviting people, sharing the good news, answering questions, being people like our dear friends at Genesis Project, actually being the hands and feet to the gospel, says, then the hand of the Lord is with you. So, of course, God is with you day-to-day lives. But, but for the point of this message, here's the challenge. The hand of the Lord will remain with MVC and has remained but will remain so long as we continue to share the good news, to evangelize, to preach the gospel, to invite others who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. And I would say my, my own diagnosis is for our church, for MVC, this is a growing edge. Our, a growing edge is an area uh, in your life that you're still working out, you still have room for improvement, but you want to consider ways to take steps to growing in that area. I would say evangelism would be an area for our church that we need to grow in. Because I see the book of Acts, and I see these brothers from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they don't have tons of training, they haven't gone to seminary, but they're they're getting it done. Why? Because they're bold enough to cross that barrier, and then in crossing the barrier, not just say, love you, bye-bye, but actually, can I tell you the greatest story ever told? Can I tell you what Jesus did in my life? Can I just take a minute on this elevator ride to tell you, they, had, they didn't have elevators, you get the point, the good news. I believe the hand of, of the Lord is with us now, perhaps maybe more than Than ever, all the way back to maybe when the church, this church was first founded across the street at the school and came here. Why? Because we've never seen such a dark and divided time in our nation. Even after 9 11, we just pulled together, didn't we? And now we're so divided, and there's so much anger and fear, and there's hatred. It's the church of Jesus Christ of the saints of the first century to today to have a word of hope for people that are at the end of the rope, desperate for answers and relief and some, someone to show them the way to lead them to know Jesus loves them and the Father wants to embrace them and restore them. Final insight. When word got back to uh, about what was happening in this new church, I mean, nothing had. This was so mind-boggling that this would happen that you'd have these displaced Jews from this ghetto, and then you'd have these uh, these Gentiles who had no. I mean, how much would they have in common? I can go to uh, Capitol Hill right now. I, I mean, it's like a cultural divide between me and someone. Hey, can we talk? Like, what language are we talking? These people really were divided, and yet. And yet they're calling each other brother and sister. When word got back uh, to Jerusalem, to HQ headquarters, and James, Jesus' half-brother, is leading the church there, and they hear what's going on, they send Barnabas, who we'll look at throughout the series, and said, Barnabas, go check it out. And it says he was so excited about what happened, quote, to see what the grace of God had done. And his response is to go grab Saul, we know later as Paul, who had the special affinity, the special God-given ability to communicate this truth cross-culturally, cross-contextually to Gentiles. He grabs him and says, brother, it's happening. It's happening. you you got to come with me. The calling that God has on your life, it's happening right now in Antioch. And it says they go there for a year of discipleship and training and small group teaching and fellowship and since says the people were so profoundly changed in thought, word, and deed that those outside the church, not inside the church, outside the church, started to call these people by a whole new category. They were Christian. And it was used at first as a put-down. Oh, those are those Christ-follower people, those Messiah, that rabbi from Nazareth. Who they claim rose from the dead. They became a new category of person. And so I want to leave you with this final challenge as we're going to study what it means to be Christian in this context, what it means when the church was family. Listen, let's follow the example that Barnabas sets. He says to them, remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. Verse 23. With all of your heart, remain true to the Lord. So my challenge to us here in person and you at home, I just want to challenge you to consider the way we we speak about church. I say, I'm going to go to church this morning. Um, I think I'll skip church. I'll go once a month to church. Or, well, we're going to watch church a little bit later. It's recorded and then, but we're going to be with family. And so this divide between church is this thing that's over here. Oh, but then there's family. And I want to challenge us to really consider this place, what's happening here, what's happening there, this is your spiritual family. These are the people that God has put into your life for a greater purpose. To come together. And to remain true to the Lord with all of our heart means to love one another the way Christ loved the church. By this, the whole world will know that we are Christian. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to study this church family in Antioch, why and how it was built to last, and I'm going to point out seven building blocks of a healthy family church. And so here's the outline for the next seven weeks. A a healthy church family is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's next week. Innovates to advance the gospel. Joe Fennessy, our youth director, is going to be preaching that that message. Changes lives through discipleship. David could preach that message, uh, but we haven't talked about it yet. Committed to the truth. Practices wise conflict management. Think about our peacemaking ministry here. Has strong leadership and makes generous sacrifice. What's our What's the phrase that we use? that's on our T-shirts we are what? Family. We're family. And I I pray that as we're starting to open up again and have two services and you're watching at home and hope that you can feel this as well, that we more and more feel the strength as a family coming together. Remain true to the Lord, sticking together now more than ever, that by our thoughts and words and actions, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Amen.